text for this sermon this morning is Deuteronomy 24, the verses 17 and 18. We'll, sing, we'll read those verses again. Deuteronomy 24, 17 and 18. You shall not pervert justice, do the stranger or the fatherless, nor take a widow's garment as a pledge, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. So far, the text. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, boys and girls too, when you visit a third world country, for instance, on a mission trip or so, you can't but help but notice the, the huge difference there is in those parts of the world between the rich and the poor. You see people living in absolute wealth and luxury and just down the hill, people living in abject poverty. We're not used to that here, to that huge disparity. We're also not used to how the rich use and abuse the vulnerable in places like that either. Last month I read in a newspaper about begging as the rising profession for the, the poor, the widows, for the orphans, especially uh, the children in Pakistan, so-called begging gangs in that country. And they, those gangs, they buy or they kidnap children off the street and maim them or burn them in horrible ways and send them out in the, street, the streets of the cities to beg. And at the end of every day, those gangs collect those children again and take the money and feed them as little as possible to keep them looking as pitiful as possible. We have a hard time imagining that this is a normal business in certain places in the world. But brothers and sisters, boys and girls, it's a bitter reality for a lot of vulnerable people in the world today. Well then, when Moses spoke to the covenant people as they were going to enter the promised land, he reiterated what the Lord God had commanded at Mount Horeb. And he applied the law for the people so that when they lived in Canaan, they would remember that they were God's special people, especially in their walk of life. And being the people God had led out of slavery in Egypt, he wanted them to live differently from the other nations which they displaced in Canaan, where the vulnerable were not taken care of. In those nations, the poor and the orphans and the widows were normally taken advantage of. That was the, the way to do it. They were taken advantage of. Abused by those better off for, for their purposes. Well, it was not to be so among the people of the God of grace in the promised land. God wanted to make sure of that. He gave those laws as we read there in this chapter 24 of Deuteronomy, to protect the vulnerable. Think of the Moabite uh, widow Ruth who was allowed by law to glean the grain that fell on the ground when the field was harvested. Well, so the laws of our text, the Israelites were to be just and merciful to the vulnerable among them 
And even though that law was for Israel in the promised land, it tells us as people redeemed from the slavery and guilt of sin in Christ, how we are to treat the vulnerable around us and among us. And I proclaim to you the text for this morning with this theme, then be good to the vulnerable. And we see three things. It's our duty, we see our example, and we see our walk. Our duty, our example, and our walk. First of all, our duty. The duty of God's people to be good to the vulnerable is stated in verse 17 then. You shall not pervert justice do the stranger or the fatherless, nor take a widow's garment as pledge. The Israelites near the banks of the Jordan River uh, heard those words from Moses, and they could imagine how it would be when they would settle down in the land on the other side of the river, in the land of milk and honey. They could see themselves sitting peacefully and prosperously under their vine and their fig tree. But they would also see other things in the promised land, and God envisions that for them too. They would see a widow, a woman whose husband has died. She has no one to help her. It was a patriarchal society, and a widow without male children could easily become destitute. Others could take advantage of her then. If she had a piece of land, they could move the boundaries to take some of her land. She had no husband or son to stand up for her. If she came to seek justice about that, she had little chance of being heard. In his days, the Lord Jesus also mentioned the plight of widows. On more than one occasion, they were taken advantage of by the Pharisees and the leaders of the Jews. You also see, they would also see orphans in Canaan, children who no longer have parents to take care of them, the fatherless. They have to work to survive, beg. There were always people who would take advantage of them. They would force them maybe to work for hardly anything, treat them like slaves. After all, there's no father to stand up for them and make sure they're treated justly. Vulnerable. Vulnerable to misuse and abuse. There would still be widows and orphans when Israel lived in the land of milk and honey. In other words, and strangers. Aliens. It happened in those days, too, that for one reason or another, people moved to a different country. Think of Abraham living as a stranger and sojourner in Canaan, or Jacob and his family settling in Egypt. Or think of how Elimelech and Naomi moved to Moab due to the famine in Israel. That happened more often there. Also, that people of other nations lived among the Israelites. Think of how Ruth the Moabites ended up living in Bethlehem with her mother-in-law, Naomi, or of Uriah the Hittite, the husband of Bathsheba, who was one of King David's army commanders. He was a Hittite from a different nation, a stranger. And remember that the Israelites later on would not do away with all the Canaanites, but many of those Canaanites continued to live among them. It'd be a minority, of course, which would make them susceptible to abuse in Israel. It could be that, that they would be treated differently, that people would gang up on them and treat them unjustly simply because they were different. Charge them more than they would charge fellow Israelites. And don't forget those strangers couldn't buy or sell land in Israel. They couldn't 
own land in Israel. So they were at a big disadvantage, also economically. It would be easy to exploit them in their situation. See, the Lord God knows people. And he knows his own people too, that of themselves they were no different than others. So he says through Moses, you shall not pervert justice, do the stranger or the fatherless or the widow. Notice how that's put in our text. He doesn't say you shall be good and merciful to those vulnerable people. No, he says you shall not pervert justice, do to them. Do them. In other words, the Lord God sees the vulnerable people as having due rights. The same rights among his people as others. It may not be that they have to depend on the goodwill of some people around them. No, they had the, the due right to be treated the same as everybody else. No treating some as inferior to the others among God's people. Everyone has the right to be treated the same as the others in the covenant community. You see, congregation, where the first point of the sermon comes from then, it's because it says in the text that justice is due to those people. It's because it says they have the same rights and privileges as the others that I also speak of our duty to be good to the vulnerable. Duty. How we are to fulfill that duty is something we can touch on later, but the thing is that we have to understand clearly that we have a duty toward the vulnerable and the weaker among us. The collection bag for the work of mercy isn't something that's optional. You can pass it on if you want. Or you can contribute out of the goodness of your heart or so. No, this is a duty. A calling. And if you contribute generously to help others in need, that's nothing to push your chest out for. You are just doing your duty. In fact, the stranger, the widow, and the orphan even had more rights in Israel than other people did because of their vulnerability. Think of that forgotten sheaf in the field and the olives and grapes left behind after the first picking. You, as a farmer, had no right to go through your field or orchard or vineyard for a second time. No trespassing in your own orchard. It was for the stranger, the widow, and the orphan. They had the right to that grain and those olives and those grapes that stayed behind. Those who were more advantaged did not have that right to, to glean. A farmer not allowed to glean on his own land or his own vine in his own vineyard. No, the Lord granted that to the people who had the most need of it. They had the right to it. Rights were geared, in other words, to need. Those with the greatest need even had the greatest right. Think of the widow mentioned separately in the text. Moses says that that her garment was not to be taken as a pledge. And now the situation he has in mind is one of borrowing money or borrowing things, borrowing an animal like a donkey or so to work her little plot of land maybe. Let's say a widow needs some money to start a small business. 
You have that in developing countries today too, the whole idea of micro-loans. Women can borrow a small amount of money in order to buy supplies and start their own sewing or craft business. And those micro-loans can be a big help to become, for them to become self-sufficient. Well, in Israel, it was a custom that if somebody borrowed some money or, or whatever, they had to give something in pledge, something as security for what was lent to them. For small amounts, they could request somebody's coat as a pledge even, if a person was poor. But if a coat was held as security for something, it had to be given back for the night. For the nights. We read that earlier on in that chapter too. That's because... People often use their coats as blankets on cold nights, the poor people. In the case of a widow, however, God's people were not even allowed to ask for a garment as a pledge. Not allowed to ask for a garment as a pledge at all. She most likely had very little clothing in the first place and would need that coat even during the day. The thing is, congregation, among God's people, it was not to be as among other peoples. Among others at that time, it was open season on the vulnerable. You could take advantage of them if you, if you wanted, if you could. But it was not to be so among God's people, Israel. In the church, there is an obligation to avoid taking advantage of and even to do good to the vulnerable. There's an obligation, it's a duty to love and care for them as needed. We live in a society which in spite of calls to show humanity is becoming ever more individualistic and selfish and hard. People around us realize that and there are all kinds of organizations and drives and so on to help the vulnerable. And many of those efforts are laudable but sadly they don't touch the root problem which is the motivation for so many the reason to do good to the vulnerable is to make themselves feel better they feel good when they do good but feeling good can't be the real motivation for doing good that's the side benefit not the main motivation the main motivation can ultimately only be faith in and love for the God of salvation he wants us to love and care for the vulnerable and if we love him and heed his command, then we will feel good about it too. Not good about ourselves, but good about a God who cares for the disadvantaged, who even cared for us. And that brings us to that, that second point, our example. I mentioned that doing good to the vulnerable needs to be motivated by love for God. And we see then how that, how that is in our text. In verse 18, Moses shows the motivation that the people should have. It says there, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. In other words, maybe you're inclined to leave the vulnerable over to his or her lot in life. Too bad. They're not as lucky as you and it is what it is. But then Moses says, remember your own history, people of God. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt. You were taken advantage of and abused by the Egyptians. Remember how it felt when you were deprived of every right and privilege and you had nobody to stand up for you then. 
See, the Israelites could still imagine what it was like to be vulnerable. They had their history. The his, it was a history of slavery and abuse. Now, most of us don't have that kind of history to be able to relate to what, is to what it is to be poor or vulnerable. It's sometimes good to go on a faith works trip or to volunteer some other way in a third world country. Some of you may have done that in the past. One of our members is in Africa at this time. You see so many vulnerable people also being taken advantage of by others. Something, then you have something to remember, something to compare with then. And some of the older ones among us here might remember wartime in Europe or the immigration time when you basically had to start from scratch. You didn't know the language. You were looked on as a duchy dyke hopper and people took advantage of you. But ultimately we have to say we can't really look back on that kind of awful experience the Israelites could remember from their time in Egypt. But that doesn't matter that we haven't experienced that ourselves. Because Moses goes deeper here into this. He not only tells the Israelites to remember when they were slaves in Egypt, he also points out how he redeemed them from that slavery there. There was nobody on earth to help them at that time. But God was there. Their God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he is merciful. And he heard their cries, it says in Exodus 1. Moses had experienced firsthand God's drive to free his people from slavery. He is a merciful and gracious God, and therefore, says Moses in our text, you need to do good to the vulnerable yourself too, as the Lord was merciful to you when you were vulnerable. As the prophet Micah says in that section we read from his prophecies, he has shown you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? So God himself, who redeems Israel in his great mercy, is the example which is to motivate the people to be good to the vulnerable. And congregation, God wants to be our redeemer too. And he doesn't promise to redeem us from physical, physical slavery as such as it was with the Israelites. No, he has redeemed us from the slavery of sin and Satan and death. For of ourselves, we were held in bondage to sin and Satan, held in the slavery of the fear of death, as it says in Hebrew. That was even worse than Israel's slavery in Egypt. We lived in sin and misery on the way to the eternal condemnation of hell with the rest of mankind. But in His great mercy, God has redeemed us from those powers and that future. He has saved us. He has promised us eternal life, free from sin and injustice and suffering. We have that. And God has therefore given us an example of what is good. He has shown us what is good in the words of Micah, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with him. To walk humbly with him then means not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought, but to realize that we were totally vulnerable too, and that God has shown us incredible mercy in Jesus Christ, even when he didn't have to. We have experienced his great love and mercy. He was so good to us, and to believe that is inevitably going to make us good to the vulnerable around us. 
If we take that to heart, then we also have heart for the vulnerable. To take that kindness of our God to heart cannot help but make us kind to those in need we come into contact with here and elsewhere. And that brings us to the final point of the sermon, our walk. We've seen our duty. We've seen our duty, congregation, and then also our example, and now our walk. The remembrance of our deliverance by God's grace in Jesus Christ is going to motivate us, if we really take that to heart, will motivate us to walk humbly with our God and to accept our duty to do good to the vulnerable around us. What does it mean to walk with our God like that, as Micah says? To walk with God is an attitude, an attitude in life, an attitude, a, a state of mind as we go about our daily walk and talk. That's what God wanted to cultivate in the hearts and minds of his people. That's what he wants to see in them. Merciful attitude toward the vulnerable, born out of the belief that God has shown incredible mercy to us when we were helpless sinners. In congregation, that's a walk and an attitude that he wants to cultivate in us today then too. A merciful attitude toward the vulnerable, born out of the belief that he has shown love to us in Jesus Christ while we were yet sinners, helpless, vulnerable to sin, Satan, and death. And then the question is, how does that attitude come to the fore in our daily walk then, congregation? Well, in the first place, through our daily prayer. Our daily prayer. Sometimes we have a hard time coming up with, with some things to pray about in the day. We, we're sitting there and we're thinking off the cuff what to pray. Congregation, always the vulnerable, the defenseless. Bring them the helpless. Bring them to our gracious God in prayer from day to day. Do we do that? We believe that God hears our prayer. And through prayer, he also will activate us to show that love and care. The more you pray, the more active you yourself become too. You can't pray genuinely for the vulnerable every day and then do nothing yourself. No, through your own prayer, God works in your heart and mind that attitude to do justly, to love mercy in your own surroundings. And then, as we mentioned before, you make sure that you're not going to pass on the collection bag without showing mercy according to your resources. And that you support Anchor Association for the Handicapped and Campfire and organizations set up to care for and show mercy to the vulnerable. Come over and help. And not only within the churches, that also there's strangers then. There's lots of need for care and mercy, and the Lord our God wants us to shine the light of His love and mercy toward us. Shine that out in our attitude, in our prayers, in our deeds, in our walk. In fact, that's why He allows there to be vulnerable people every time again in the first place. The words of our text spoken by Moses imply that God was going to allow there to be strangers and widows and fatherless in the promised land too. They were going to be there. 
And he allowed that to be so that Israel would have the opportunity to show their appreciation for his grace toward them when he redeemed them from Egypt in showing mercy toward the vulnerable. The vulnerable, we could say, were there so that the Israelites would remember, as it says in Micah, so that God's people would continue to realize that the Lord wasn't pleased with all kinds of sacrifices as such and rivers of oil. But that it was also that his people would treat each other justly and love to show mercy and so walk humbly with their God. It's the same for us today, two congregation. As Jesus Christ himself said to his disciples, the needy you will always have among you, the vulnerable. They will always be there. There are vulnerable people around us, among us, to test us, to elicit fairness and care and mercy from us. They're placed on our path by God to ensure that his people don't become hard of heart and tight-fisted bullies we are not to see the vulnerable as burdens then, but as placed by us, by God himself, as a divine call to do our duty as people redeemed by God's grace and to show his mercy toward us in how we treat them. Because that glorifies him. Every act of mercy is an act of worship, congregation. His mercy is then praised and magnified through us. The vulnerable, you realize then, are then opportunities given to us by our gracious God to worship him in our daily walk and to praise his redemption in Jesus Christ. Amen.